Hi, this is Jeff Steele, and today we're reading from Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 52. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous, so they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for this message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers, so the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, so they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here? We're seeing a pattern begin to develop. Whenever the apostles and the missionaries take the gospel to a new location, remember that the church was thoroughly Jewish in its origins. And so from the very beginning, the gospel would come to Jewish audiences. Whenever the missionaries wanted to tell people about the good news of Jesus in whatever town they were in, the first thing they did was find where the Jewish people were. And that made sense. They taught them from the scriptures about who Jesus was. Now, whenever this happened, the same general pattern uh, would develop. Lots of Jewish people would put their faith in Christ until eventually the religious leadership would get angry and turn against the apostles and throw them out or throw them in jail. Now, previously in Acts, this might be the end of their ministry, but uh, then Acts chapter 10 happened, remember, and the gospel has also come to the Gentiles now. So now the missionary's work is not confined to just finding a Jewish audience. So what we see is what happens here, that when the Jewish establishment turns against Paul and Barnabas, then they are free to turn their attention to the non-Jews that were in that town. Now, wherever they go, they still begin with the Jewish people if possible, but once they are rejected by them, the apostles preach to everyone else. And look what they said. When the Jewish authorities finally had enough, and Paul and Barnabas, and, and they publicly opposed them, they answered, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. They said, The Lord gave us this command when he said these words. And, and you think, wait a minute. When did Jesus ever say that? I don't remember that verse in the Gospels. Well, in fact, Jesus didn't say that in the Gospels. What they are quoting is the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And that quote is found in, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. So let's look at that Old Testament quote just a minute. Whenever the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, I think it's fascinating. Because consider that when the apostles were teaching the scriptures at this time, what were they teaching? Because the New Testament had not been written yet. They were still living it. 
what they were teaching is actually the Old Testament. And that's, it's kind of funny from our perspective because we live so long uh, after uh, these times that I, when we think about opening the Bible, like we probably default to the New Testament, don't we? Because we live in the grace that Jesus brought, so we tend to find the New Testament maybe a little bit more applicable to our life and worship. But what's interesting is that while the New Testament was being written, the Old Testament was still the Bible. And, and you know what? When we read a New Testament author quoting the Old Testament, we can usually look back and see exactly how God was laying the foundation for Jesus and the church from all the way back to the beginning of the whole Bible. So when Paul and Barnabas taught from scriptures, they were teaching from Old Testament texts like this one. So uh, what's happening in this text as they're quoting from Isaiah chapter 49? Super quick. Uh, super quick recap of, of the history, okay? In the Old Testament is all about how God gave his people a land, right? This was most of their identity was tied up in living there in Israel. This was the land that God gave his people. It was a gift. And, and a good chunk of the Old Testament tells the story about how God's people blew it. It's like they were given this thing, this land, and they didn't take care of it. It's like if, if somebody gifted you a house, maybe, but you didn't take care of it, you squandered it, you used it improperly, and maybe got repossessed for unpaid taxes, okay? Uh, this, that's kind of what happened here with Israel. The people were unfaithful. They forgot about God. They thought they knew better. And as a result, they were conquered, and they were carried off as slaves to another country. God's chosen people found themselves in exile in a place called Babylon. This is God saying to his people, you don't want to do things my way? That's fine. Then do them your way and let's see where that ends up. In this case, it ended up in slavery in Babylon. But see, Isaiah was a prophet and he starts telling people about how God is going to reveal himself even through Babylon. He starts talking about how Babylon is going to fall and Israel is going to be set free once again. And he says it long before it ever happens so that the people will know that it was God who brought these things about and not just some clever predictions of a prophet. He starts talking about how God is going to use someone special to deliver his people out of Babylon. There is someone that he has commissioned to this very special purpose to bring Israel back home again. And that's where we pick up in this Isaiah 49. It says that God actually has even bigger plans for his servant. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. Another translation actually captures a little bit more of the emphasis when God says, it is too small of a thing for you to restore the tribes of Jacob. In other words, you are going to bring Israel back. Yes, that's what you set out to do, but that's too small. I have even bigger purposes in mind than that. He says, you will do more then restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's the verse that Paul and Barnabas quote. See, when God restored Israel, his intention was to show his power in such a way that his message and his kingdom would go well beyond just Israel. So consider what's happening here. In the Old Testament, God's people are gathered in their own country of Israel, but then through persecution, they are scattered throughout the whole Babylonian empire. And guess what? 
They carry their faith with them and they worship God wherever they go. Now fast forward to the New Testament when Paul and Barnabas are preaching. The believers were gathered together in Jerusalem, right, at the beginning of the book of Acts, until they are persecuted, and then they are scattered throughout the whole Roman Empire. And guess what? They carry the gospel with them wherever they go. When Paul and Barnabas quote this Isaiah 49, that that I will make you a, a light to the Gentiles, I believe they were making a point to say, don't you see what's happening here? That, that you should recognize this because this has actually happened before. God is doing what God always does, carrying his message to the ends of the earth. That has always been his plan, and that will always be his plan. I mean, do you think that you can stop it by opposing us? You can't. When the people were carried away as slaves in ancient times, they couldn't stop it. When they killed the new Christians in Jerusalem, they couldn't stop it. When Israel was scattered and enslaved, they couldn't stop it. And when the church was scattered to the ends of the earth, they couldn't stop it. In fact, God has always intended for his gospel to be for all nations. The persecution, the opposition, well, that was actually just doing the job for him. How do we know that? Because it says here, the Lord's message spread throughout that region. You think, okay, interesting history lesson here, Jeff, but what are we supposed to take away from that? There's a couple of things that stand out to me. Number one, this is a message of courage in the face of opposition. Listen, Jesus promised us that we would have trouble. Remember when he said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? But he also said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen, God's got this. Since the beginning of history, there have always been people who hated God and everything he stood for. They wanted nothing more than for God's people to fall and to fail. In the Old Testament, they may have attacked them and carried them away as slaves. And in the New Testament, they may have thrown them out of the temple. They had them beaten, imprisoned, and sometimes killed. But there are always people who say that the church is falling apart, that Christianity is dying, that the church is losing influence in the world, etc., etc. There have always been people who said it, and there will always be people who continue to say it. But guess what? The story has never changed. God has been in the business of taking the worst that we can throw at him and using it to accomplish exactly what he wanted to do in the first place. And that really brings me to the second thing. My job is not to make God's kingdom happen in the world. Wait, what? Let me say that again. My job, my calling in life is not to make God's kingdom happen. You think, but wait a minute, don't we say we want to bring God's kingdom here? I mean, yes, of course we do. And that is what we want. But hear this part. My job is not to strategize and plan and scheme to make that happen. My job is to listen to the spirit and go where he leads. Why is it important to say that? Because when I am tempted to give up on the world, I think about the political climate, the religious climate, the social climate. I mean, heck, even the actual climate (laughs) is terrible, right? It's easy to think, Lord, how is any of this ever going to be okay? 
How am I supposed to make sense of a fractured world that's full of division and hatred? How am I supposed to deal with the extreme isolation that people feel, the depression and the apathy that seem to grip our culture so tightly? How can I ever make sense of all of that? Politically, we may be more fractured than ever. Socially, we're more isolated. I've seen poverty, hurt, fear, hopelessness. How am I ever going to make any of that right? It's too much. But guess what, friends? It's not my job. And it's not your job. It's not your job to fix the brokenness. It's your job to be faithful to whatever small part God has called you to and let the Holy Spirit do his thing in the world around you. That's it. Period. End of job description. The hope of your community does not rest on you. It never has but it will always rest on the power of God in and through you. God may call you to make a difference. I believe that he has. But God didn't need Isaiah to restore Israel. He already had it figured out and the plan was set in motion already. He didn't need Paul and Barnabas to convince the naysaying religious leaders. He already had a plan in the works. It's not even my job to convince people that they should give their lives to Jesus. I don't think. I, <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Aren't you a pastor? I mean, I, yes. And, and Jesus said that nobody comes to him unless God draws him there. God does the work here, folks. God has the plans here, not us. So maybe I should do less telling God how he should manage his PR in the world and more listening to where the Spirit is calling me to share His light in the world around me. It just, it underscores the point again of listening to the Spirit. Listen, the apostles accomplished great things in in the book of Acts, not because they were visionary leaders, but because they listened to the Spirit and let God work through them. Because if we don't do that, we run the serious risk of missing the point entirely. So how about you? Where do you feel that God is leading you today? And what will you do as a response? Let's pray. God, I pray that you call us to amazing things. I I, I pray that you would call us to fix those broken things, but not by our own strength, not by our own power, not because we are anything kind of, not because we have any kind of uh, talent or... or, um, special uh, ability, God, we do it because it's who you called us to be. And it's because, and we're there because that's where you called us to. So God, I pray that you equip us. I pray that you send us. Don't let us be satisfied and just sit back and do nothing. But that we would go where you call us to go, that we would listen to you and that, um, God, you would do amazing things through us. And at the end of the day, we could step back and say, wow, God has done great things today. In your name. Amen. Have a great day.